welcome to the Engine Room Podcast. Your host, Cami, the coach and creator of the Fit Life Coaching Program. This podcast has been designed to remove the barriers to get you moving to your ultimate dream, body, mind, and health. As ambitious men and women, we know that health is the ultimate driver to your success. In this podcast, we'll be discussing everything you need to get you thriving nutritionally, thinking clear so you can have high performance habits and productivity, and getting you training fitter, faster, stronger, and the best shape of your life. The goal is now. Let's dive in, let's get you winning, and let's get you thriving. Hi team and welcome to this episode of our podcast and today we've got a special surprise where Annika has come back to join in and we're going to be talking about everything big, small, stupid with regards to how our mindset thinks towards things opening up. So Annika, how are we? Hey Tammy, so happy to be here. Hi everyone and I'm doing great. Thank you. And Annika, how has uh, everything opening up? I know that Ireland was just a little bit later than everywhere else. How is everything on your side? Yes, we were not so patiently waiting for everything to catch up with you guys in the UK. <laughs> it was hard watching things open up and we were still um, still sort of under a tighter lockdown, but happy to say we are catching up. A lot more is open now. We're able to travel around the country. The, the pubs have opened for outdoor dining, not yet for, for indoor. We're still waiting on that one, but there's definitely an air of normalcy coming back, which we're appreciating. Good, good. Yeah. And I uh, what actually happened over here is uh, everywhere, all the outdoor places were opening up. And then when we were allowed to go indoor, it was the best weather. So everybody was wanting to say outdoor anyway. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Annika, like, a way I kind of wanted to kind of just start was uh, talking about where we were about this time last year. Like, I think everybody was in a state of shock about this time last year. And everybody's like everybody's memories, including my own, where it's TikTok, it's gin bottles, it's uh, <laughs> quit pub quizzes. In fact, we did our own yeah. pub quiz. Like, so literally, what kind of things were happening with yourself this time last year? Yeah, that that. The shock really resonates, you know, hearing you say that because I, you know, we'd really only been in this situation, I suppose, this time last year for a handful of months. And so mm -hmm. I think I probably, like many people, was still wrapping my head around, you know, how dramatically life had changed and what such a short period of time, all the implications. I think it's funny also when I think back to the beginning of summer last year. Uh, I anyways had had a misplaced sense of optimism I think <laughs> I think I kind of was thinking I was still going to get to go traveling at the end of 2020 and that it was all going to work itself out and so it is sort of funny looking back and going oh yeah no that didn't happen yeah. um but yeah definitely just that that sense of struggling to catch up with what had happened and mentally yeah. <laughs> and and as you say I think everyone was sort of deep diving into um, coping strategies and if you think about it like as a as a you know as humanity as humans we came up with a lot of pretty cool coping strategies right and and we always do that humans have this amazing uh, resilience and we do you know we're creative and the pub quizzes and and the, all the stuff that came out on social media and the ways that people found humor in it and the ways people came together to support each other those are all really positive memories that I have from this time last year. 100%. I think it's actually how quickly people adapted to it. I mean, it was a shock. It was like a massive shock mm -hmm. and a lot of people struggled with it. Uh, we actually had an outdoor cinema one time where we, one of our neighbours got a projector from work and they stole it from work. Oh, yeah. And then we had a projector outside. Um, we put tea in the park on instead of watching a movie because we wanted to <laughs> feel like we're in a festival. But um, And we, we had to keep the music down because um it was it was past bedtime for everybody but I mean it wasn't quite the same tea in the park experience um, but actually there's it's actually really interesting what you're saying there and if you, if you wouldn't mind it's like I a lot of the time people seem to think like as coaches and as, when you're coaching that we're perfectly equipped and we would never struggle in certain situations but that was a state of shock for everybody and mm -hmm. how did you feel equipped for that moment in time I do remember feeling grateful for the training um, that I had undergone as, as a psychologist and a mental performance coach, I remember thinking to myself that that, that training was coming in real handy <laughs> at that point in time. Um, so for a few different reasons, the number one, it helped me be able to observe myself going through that process. And that's something that that is sort of a mental skill unto itself, learning to be able to take a bit of a step back from your own thoughts and reactions 
um, and notice, you know, where your thoughts are going, notice where your emotions are going. And instead of just sort of uh, getting caught up and swept away in that, being able to just sort of step back and make a bit of a choice, right? Am I going to follow that train of thought? Am I going to allow that emotion to sort of rule my day and, and, um, and work with that a bit more? And that is not to say that I found that experience easy, um, but, I, but I do believe that, that that training helped me a bit in that time. Um, the other thing that was useful was that, as I said before, when you've studied resilience, you understand or you get to understand that resilience is innate. Resilience is, uh, we often think about resilience as something we need to learn, but that's really not how it works. We are resilient. Um, naturally as humans. And it's often these big, crazy events that bring it out of us or sort of serve to show us our own resilience. So I remember having a lot of confidence in the fact that we would come through this and that actually it would, it would be very difficult, but that, we, that, you know, as people, we would rise to the occasion that, that, that amazing things would come out of it, that we'd see some amazing stuff happen in the world as a result of it. And so that felt really hopeful to me at the time. So, so that was like a nice thing to hang on to as well. Um, so, but yeah, but there was many days where I really struggled. I, I went through a period of really severe homesickness. Um, mm -hmm. For those who are listening who don't know, I'm originally from Canada. So I, I live in Ireland and something about not being able to go home really sort of struck my heart and, and made me feel very, uh, very sad and lonely on some days. And and I'm a very social person, so I, I did not adjust well <laughs> to, to lockdown, to severe lockdown. And when we were at the, like the five kilometer limit, which we were in for a while in Ireland, there were several days where I was like, I am losing my mind and I don't know, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> I, th I think everybody at some point walked around their entire district and it's like, I've been here before. And like, um, you literally, you knew every stick and you could have told, you literally, we all became trackers, somebody's been here. So yeah. <laughs> that sticks to Somebody's been here. Totally, yeah. Oh, the neighbors changed the color of their curtains. Interesting. <laughs> uh, and I think, yeah, because I, I think that was like something that we all actually, one of the big things like I learned from lockdown is like, because and the same, I, it was a state of shock. It literally hit. Um, there was a denial stage and um, I, and like it, it hit and I was just like, whoa that is like this is different now this, this is this is really different and on that as well we do I, I really understand what you're saying we are resilient because we've all come through it we've all come through it because we've all learned something different we've all actually probably appreciated the pace of life of in general because we were so good at being busy that we actually forgot to actually do the fun things that were actually not busy like mm -hmm the simple things of actually when things opened up I was like I said to Elizabeth Ashes I remember this I said Elizabeth we've gone back to having something every single weekend and we'd only been out once and I was like I was just like things are happening too fast here so <laughs> um but if we were to like fast forward and uh, we were to kind of just like more just observe what kind of things would you say you're, you see on a more daily basis maybe now as things are kind of like opening back up again and people are starting to go back to opportunities are they going back are they doing something a little bit different to how they used to do it? I have to say the, the main thing that I've noticed Kami is is um, a sense of trepidation almost you know amongst people about this this shift back and that has take, takes on different forms for different people. But I do notice that a lot in my work and having a lot of conversations around that. And I can relate to it myself a little bit too at times. It's this sense of, you know, can we go back? Uh, do, we, do we want to go back to exactly the way things were? Um, you know, what do we want to hang on to from lockdown? Can I hang on to anything from lockdown? Uh, there's been a lot of people sharing with me that they're really worried that um, that essentially they're just going to get thrust back into the busyness, as you said, right? And, and maybe sort of lose control. So I think some people, interestingly, um, although a lot of things were out of our control during lockdown, a lot of us responded to that by working on the things that were under our control. So for a lot of us, we got better about our routine. We, we finally did something that we'd wanted to do for a long time, you know, I finally started uh, doing some meditation. I got way more consistent about doing yoga as a part of my exercise, which were things that I sort of always had wanted to do, but never had time for and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, I'm sure everyone listening can think of one or two things that they 
started to do during lockdown that actually they're they're really happy about and maybe you felt that they have contributed like contributed well to their lives and the question is are we going to lose that are we going to get thrust back into the chaos you know um and can we handle that and can we cope and what does that look like and we can't imagine it so so just sort of i think there's this general sense of of worry maybe and i i want to just highlight for everybody that anytime we go through a transition phase um, there is always going to be a sense of sort of internal stress and discomfort with that. Mm -hmm. um, it's just the way our brains are wired. Our brains do not like change, even if the change is, is a positive change, you know, coming out of lockdown. Uh, we're, we're just as likely to feel sort of on the back foot and thrown off kilter and a bit stressed and a bit nervous and a bit anxious. Um, as we are about a change that, that maybe is a difficult change, like going into lockdown. So for everyone who's feeling that right now, um, it's great to just recognize that that's super normal. Mm -hmm. And it's not a reflection of you. It doesn't say anything about you. It doesn't mean that you're not capable of managing this. Um, it's just natural. So I call it change anxiety. Mm -hmm. And for myself, what I try and do is I try and notice when it's happening and I try to go, okay, whew, there's that change anxiety again. <laughs> That's normal. It's just a part of this thing. It doesn't mean anything really. It just means my body responding to the change. And it allows me to just remember that I can trust that I will get to the other side of that. Things will normalize and that change anxiety will go away naturally. I really, really resonate with that. Mm. Um, There's actually a few things that you re I resonated with. One, the moment we were saying about people trying new things, Elizabeth tried new things of nagging at me about DIY. I mean, <laughs> our house is completely different to the what started in lockdown, but uh, I'm glad that that's getting left in lockdown. Um, but yeah, I 100% I, I resonate though. I, I, your change anxiety, limbo kind of feeling. And like I see it a lot of the time when people are, are in that transition period when it comes to training, because what ends up happening is they do bits because they're a little bit afraid of this and a little bit of this. And ultimately it means that things got overwhelming quite quickly. And then I, we often complicate things in that moment and it grows that anxiety, grows that limbo feeling. Um, and like, especially in, in a training side of things where, uh, like progress is just simply what is the simplest form we can do to step forward is it one kilo is it two kilos three kilos and it's just embracing that challenge but if we're caught in that limbo sometimes it's quite hard to step out sometimes mm -hmm. it's quite hard to to commit to that I don't know if I can do that um and one of the things like like on that we kind of focus on is helping people get that sustainable routine and it's interesting you were saying that things that you were doing that got a better routine like your yoga your meditation and they mm -hmm. all really helped would you say that's something that would help somebody who's maybe going through that change anxiety? Would you say routines are something that's maybe a, a good thing? Is it an essential thing? What would you say? You know, it's funny. There's so much talk about routines um, in today's world, you know, like, like <laughs> everyone on Instagram has a morning routine and this routine is a, it's a real buzzword at the moment. So I, um, this is where I stand on routines and this is just my perspective and you know, take, take it or leave it everyone. But I think that, um, that an element of routine is fantastic, maybe even essential to help us stay organized and moving forward. Um, but I don't personally buy into the idea that we have to do exactly the same thing in the same order every single day um, to be organized and successful. Um, so for me, that maybe it comes from the sense that that's not something that's that works super well for me in my life because I really love a bit of variety. Yeah. <laughs> so what I find is every time I've tried to instill, install a really rigid routine into my life, um, I get a little bored with it, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> even if it's a really great routine. So the middle ground that I've found is is building a routine that is structured in some ways, but flexible in others. So what I mean by that is what I try and do now is I try and start out my day with um, some type of movement outdoors if I can, whether al allowing, um, and some kind of, uh, I think it is like mind time. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that could be meditation. Um, that could be um, listening to like an audiobook that I'm really engaged with, um, or it could be journaling. So it tends to be one of those three things. And then the movement can, it'll vary. So either I'll go for a run, I'll do some kind of a, a workout, or I'll do yoga or some combination of those. Um, and so for me, 
that that's a, that's a routine. Like I always do one of those things, but it's, but for me, I like to having the flexibility and sort of waking up and going, okay, like today I feel like going for a run or like today I feel like I really need a good stretch. So I'm going to do my yoga. Um, you know, oh, I really feel like I just need like a good meditation today, or actually I'm really enjoying this audio book, but, uh, so it gives me a bit of spice and variety. And for me, that was really essential during lockdown because doing the same thing every day anyway, in the context of lockdown made me feel a little bit squirrely. <laughs> I, yeah, I, to, I totally, I, you know, I, I really like that, actually, because like a routine needs to be flexible and it, and each day isn't going to be the same. Like each mm -hmm. workout is not going to be the same because if it is mm -hmm. the same, we don't change. It's mm -hmm. like each workout will be, it may be the same exercises, but you might be able to do more. You might need to do less. And it's like, mm -hmm. exactly the same. I really like that. And I think that's when it comes to routine, like it's, it is it's something it's it's a, a way you can group activities together so that you have more time mm -hmm. and what those activities are it might be flexible um but it's a way that works and it's not about setting unfair expectancies on yourself like I know fine well that I am not going to be a six o'clock in the morning uh work it exercise worker out because I tried bench pressing at six o'clock in the morning I just about decapitated myself my fingers don't work I have an important appointment with my coffee at six o'clock six o'clock in the yeah. morning that I need to have <laughs> and like I enjoy going for my morning walk I enjoy journaling and it's these kind of things it's like it's exercising that opportunity just to invest time and I guess when people call it routine they almost sometimes think it's regimented but it's the mm -hmm. opportunity to actually just do things for yourself in in a morning that we would class as a routine so I really mm -hmm. like that that's like and for when people are in that limbo of that change anxiety uh, mindset would you say that that's the kind of the key thing that would build them up is having that ownership over that routine so it's not having something a routine that owns you but you have ownership over the routine yeah I think that's a really nice way of putting it um the other thing I always say too when you feel like you're in a rut is it can be fun to think about um engaging with your routine almost from the sense of like curiosity and looking at it as like a bit of a personal experiment mm -hmm. so um I always encourage people to do this with routines anyway so you think of for yourself right so so everyone who has a routine that that routine that, those ideas came from somewhere right so um so I learned from somewhere about meditation and the idea of doing it first thing in the morning I learned about at some stage about you know yoga and different types of exercises and being outdoors and and I learned somewhere along the way that those are things I like to do and and so that's sort of how that routine came together for me and so for everyone there's a way that that came together um but sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking, right, there is a right or a wrong routine or, you know, once I've established routine, it can't change or I have to do it that way. But the reality is we're always learning things. We're always learning about ourselves. We're always learning about different cool ways to foster, um, you know, self-care and all that sort of stuff. And so uh, it can be quite good to think creatively uh, about your routine and experiment with your routine and say, right, well, um, what's something else I could do first thing in the morning that might actually make me feel like a hundred bucks right out of the gate. And maybe it's something I have never even heard of before. So that can prompt us to go looking for ideas and inspiration. We can try something new that can be really exciting. Novelty is so great for our, for engaging our brain. Our brain loves new things. Right. Um, and so there is an opportunity to help us feel even just the simple process of, of finding something cool and integrating that new thing into our routine can really sort of lift you out of that feeling of being stuck in a rut um, and inject some kind of, you know, optimism and, and energy into your system. I, as you know, it's an, around about Christmas time, I had a really good morning routine that really just really helped me, but mm. I was struggling with my sleep. So I decided to go, you know what, I'm going to work on my sleep. I'm going to focus on that. So I changed my morning routine to improve my sleep quality. And it did, but mm -hmm. it completely threw my morning out the window. And the problem was that I didn't get have time to self-care in the morning, which meant that it didn't work for me. And it was mm -hmm. literally just trial and error of a, something slightly different so that I can improve something that I was struggling with at that moment in time. And while it improved my sleep, it did not improve my morning uh, and it just kind of it, it disjointed things so it's actually I like I like that it's been being being creative how can you uh, get the most out of things um, and like that in this kind of like limbo phase I and we were saying the like the change anxiety 
one of the big things I kind of feel like a lot of people got out of lockdown having time was to actually just like something I did with yourself was realign values. It's like, what is mm-hmm. it, your most important thing? And I think that a lot of this limbo phase, this, this change is because values are getting questioned in different orders and we doubt if it's right or, or doubt if it's wrong, if we're doing things that are working for us or working against us. And what would you say to somebody who's maybe not sure about what values are, there are their values? In fact, what would you say to, if somebody isn't aware of values in general, what would you say, could you give them a wee introduction about values? Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, <laughs> you know, Cammie, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of values. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, there are some things that um, I suppose I've seen, seen the proof in the pudding, you know, as they say, about how incredibly impactful it is to number one, as you said, be aware of your values. And number two, start to, to live in accordance as best you can with those values. So, um, yeah, so to pedal back for a second, values is essentially a term that we use um, in coaching. It's very popular in coaching culture and psychology coaching um, to basically describe the things that are of utmost importance to you in your life. And uh, you can discover these. So first of all, we all have values, um, but we may not be consciously or specifically aware of them or what they are or how they're driving our behavior. Um, so I'll use the example, one of my values is adventure. And I only sort of labeled that for myself, maybe two years, maybe less than two years ago. But if I look back through my life, I can see time and time again, where my choices and my behavior was driven by that value of adventure. So that, so that was important to me um, long before I labeled it. But the, the, that, the, the impact of me labeling that is that now I understand my own choices in the past better. I can see where that pattern of behavior came from. And having specifically, you know, identified adventure as something that's important to me, that allows me to now uh, weigh that value in future choices and say, right, well, how would my choice in this particular situation allow me to live to that value of adventure as is important to me? So the process of identifying your values it really only takes 10 to 15 minutes. And so for anyone who hasn't done it, I honestly can't recommend it enough. Um, I know that you guys have my values exercise tucked away somewhere in your resources there, but it's as simple as this. Um, you know, grab a pen and a paper and write down 10 to 20 things that feel incredibly important to you about how you live your life, about how you treat other people and about how other people treat you. I always encourage people to consider kind of the big weighty values those are the ones that often come up to our mind first, things like honesty, loyalty, integrity. Um, but then to also go a bit deeper and think about things that are more personal to you. Um, you know, so adventure, right, may not be a value for everyone, whereas things like integrity, most people would connect with, but not everyone would connect with adventure, right? There are people who actually value stability and, and consistency far more than adventure. So think about the big ones, think about how you connect to them personally. And then go deeper and say, right, well, what are all the things that are more individual to me as, as, as a human? Um, do I value fun? Do I value kindness? Do I value, um, you know, uh, candor? Do I value uh, self-compassion? You know, what are all those things that are really important to me? As a final note on sort of identifying those values, it can be quite useful to think about um, your uh, conflicts with other people. Because often when someone something's doing is someone's doing is really rubbing you the wrong way, it's because their action is going in direct contrast to something that's important to you. And so you can use that to kind of figure out your value in reverse. So if it really bugs you when people are dishonest with you, there's a good chance honesty is a pretty important value to you, right? Or if it really bugs you when you know someone is is just kind of catty and mean to someone else then maybe kindness and compassion is something that, that you value. So yeah, for anyone who hasn't done, hasn't done it, I can't recommend it enough. It's a, it's a fantastic resource in developing self-awareness and self-awareness is really uh, the big key to unlocking change and progress. I, I really like that. And va- values is something that I didn't take, I took for granted because I don't understand them until mm-hmm. I actually was working with yourself. And mm-hmm. um, uh, a big I, a value for myself is energy like I really enjoy having energy and it's it gives me the 
it gives me the opportunity to adventure. It gives me the opportunity to be present. It gives me the opportunity to work out. And it gives me, and that's why I hold it such a high value for myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, like a lot of people, um, I, I, when people value, say they value certain things, but it's not actually things you value. It's actually, it's, it's the concept of what you do with these. And for example, people say, may say they value alcohol, but that's actually, that's a thing. It's actually the socializing. It's the being, the fun aspect. It's what does it bring? And it's so it is going a little bit deeper. And mm-hmm. like a lot of people avoid doing those deep moments of going, I don't, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to be in those moments, but actually working, uh, working away with like with yourself was actually one of the most rewarding things I did because it enabled me to, actually just discover what is important what is actually going to enable me because then you can put that and your your day aligns around that uh like for example i my day aligns around food because like i like energy so um, like that's why i enjoy so much food is that i just enjoy energy uh and it's really it's interesting to to see that and and hear that and see if somebody's like I got really they've just got a really good headspace and they've really like the lockdown's been they, they rediscovered themselves and their values but maybe as things have opened up things have questioned their values or tested their values that they're maybe just like they're in that they've maybe created that change in anxiety because their values have shifted from one to another mm-hmm. how how easy is it to realign values for that yeah there's there's a lot of kind of threads in that because yeah, so sometimes what happens is that our values shift in, pri- in priority. So often we have kind of a stable, they say that, that we tend to have like 10 to 15 values that are our top values that stay fairly stable through our lives, but the order often rearranges depending on what happens to us and, and, um, and sort of what stage of life we're in. And one of the things that always tends to reorder our values are big significant life events, which COVID has been for all of us. So probably, you know, most humans, most of us out there have had a bit of a shift and a re- reordering of our values as a result of COVID. And that can be a little bit discombobulating. Um, so I think, you know, that's a little bit what I was hearing in your question is that we've, we're shifting back, but also forward into this new, new version of, of, of life, you know, post COVID. And maybe some of us are feeling that we're not quite the same as we were before. And part of that is that that our values have shifted and our perspective has shifted and, and um, you know, maybe we aren't really the same as we were before. Um, so number one, I think personally, I think that's a positive thing. So even if it can feel a little bit discombobulating, growth and change is usually discombobulating. <laughs> um, and so the discomfort of that is usually just a sign that we're growing. So the more we can sort of just embrace that discomfort and not try to fight it, Um, the better. And if we can say to ourselves, look, it makes sense that I am different. Um, Even if COVID hadn't happened, we'd all still be a bit different now than we were a year and a half ago. It's just that the the momentum, the momentous kind of, you know, the the time frame of COVID is making us all extremely aware of those differences and the, the way that lockdown worked where we were we were locked down and then now we're being released, you know, it makes it seem um, more significant, maybe makes the change more significant, but, but change and growth is natural and we would all be a bit different anyway, even if COVID hadn't happened. Um, so I would say, notice what's different about yourself and stay curious about it. Um, think about how that shift in priorities and that shift in values is gonna inform the choices you're gonna make from this point onwards. Um, and that is the, the sort of the positive impact and values can have is that they can help us to feel more sure, um, about the choices we're making, because if we can clearly connect the choice to the value and we can see clearly how making that choice, uh, allows you to live to that value, then we can just feel a little bit more grounded and confident in that choice. Um, so it's, so, so for example, um, there was an, I had an opportunity back in the, in the spring, you know, this came to, to actually travel to Spain to help out a friend who was there. Mm-hmm. And as I was trying to decide whether or not to do that, there was a lot of mixed emotions, you know, it meant traveling and lockdown. There was, there was a risk, obviously there was, um, a lot of paperwork and potential stuff to get through. 
And there was part of me that just sort of was like, mm, I don't know if I want to go. Like, it's just too much. It felt really stressful. Um, but as I was struggling with that, cho that choice, I reminded myself of my value of adventure. And I knew my adventure value absolutely wanted me to get on that plane <laughs> and go to Spain and, and help my friend. And so connecting to that value in that moment helped me say yes to that decision and just, you know, do all the stuff that I needed to do to prepare myself for that trip. And, um, and I'm so glad that I did because it felt like a choice that was a tr very much in alignment with who I am and the way I want to live my life. And, you know, there was ups and downs with it, but ultimately it felt like such a good thing to have done. And I was so grateful to be able to be there for my, for my friend through a difficult time. So it's just an example of how you can use the values as a bit of a, of a navigation system in those moments where you're trying to make a decision and you're not sure which way is up and, and there's a lot to consider. Um, so we just have to keep using, and it's okay if the values have shifted around. We just have to, to you know, be aware of what is most important to us now, post lockdown, and try to the best of our ability to keep using that awareness to just shape and guide us, you know, guide the choices we're gonna make from this 100%, 100% and it's actually it's interesting because like when you think about it every kid when they were younger when they were writing a Christmas letter was pretty much the Argos catalogue from like A to Z like, <laughs> and nowadays it's actually if you were to write a Christmas list it would probably not have nothing from Argos in it um, mm -hmm. but it's like your values do change and I think that's okay to to understand that the person who you are and the alignment of what kind of things you value because you've worked hard in certain things you're passionate about certain things that you've built um, you've worked on your career your family uh, your body even it's really important that you see that it's okay to value these things more than certain other things that and that, that might change. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of like another topic we were going to talk about was a bit about emotions, but that kind of kind of ties in because sometimes when you are challenged and your values are challenged, you maybe value something that's really, really important to you. It might be uh, it might be exercise, it might be energy, it might be relationships, it might be social. And if they're maybe not met with somebody with the same value, and it's then suddenly like I know a lot of people have maybe had a work email that's completely floored them and left them like they can't eat they, they physically almost paralyzed with rage because mm -hmm. they feel like they can't do a workout they can't do this they can't do this they can't do this and if we were to kind of like talk about emotions and when somebody's conflicting values come in like what what impact does like say like emotions have on a, on a positive and a negative side of things they have such a huge impact on us um Emotions, like from a very scientific perspective, are the are essentially the the neurochemicals that are released in our brain in response to different situations. So the way that they distinguish it um, scientifically is often that emotions are the neurochemicals, and then our feelings are our response to those emotions. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an interesting thing to 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 pull apart because although we often can't control the release of the neurochemicals that sort of often happens automatically so we can't control our emotions we can control our feelings and the way that we so the way that we react to that to those neurochemicals um, and that's an important thing to to remember because often we can feel so out of control with our emotions uh, emotions are big feelings are big they can take over our brain and our body, right? With this kind of flood of, you know, you can, everyone here who's listening can think of a time they've been flooded by rage, as you said, or flooded by stress and anxiety or flooded by joy, right? Um, and uh, so, yeah, so the power of them can't be denied. Um, the, so if we talk about negative versus positive emotion, so negative emotion um, can cause certain problems for us in that if we don't learn to regulate those emotions, and we often call it down regulating. So we don't learn the skill that allows us to basically process and, and sort of uh, reduce those negative emotions. They can sort of overtake us and um, can quite quickly lead us to a place where we feel quite distraught, quite hopeless, um, really low in our motivation, and um, a sense of just sort of deep frustration and conflict maybe with ourselves or with the world. So what I often encourage people to do is to start again to get really curious 
about their negative emotions. So remember, we can't necessarily control the fact that, that the, the neurochemicals are released in our brain and say in response to a stressful event. But if we can start to notice when we are getting a rush of negative emotion, and if we can start to get quite curious about that, that opens this little door to start regulating our feelings around that emotion. And I can't tell you the, the impact this has. Um, and I know this from personal experience because <laughs> as a human, I always often obviously, obviously also have, um, you know, really strong emotions. And uh, when I was younger, I used to be, get really caught up in, in the, the sweep of those emotions and, and really kind of lose control around them and sometimes. And so the ability to regulate them has felt invaluable to me. So in a nutshell, really like the two things that really help you downregulate in those moments are breathing. Um, and that's a very deep, slow breath right into, into your stomach using your diaphragm. Or, um, and maybe you can do at the same time to, um, to challenge your negative thinking and to say, sort of challenge yourself a little bit and go, well, is that actually true? Is there another perspective we can we can take on that? And those two things together, in my experience, work the best to just sort of quickly bob you up out of the negative emotion whirlpool that, that so quickly sucks us down. So the emotions are always going to be there, but we have the capacity to, the negative emotions are always going to be there. We have the capacity to, um, to learn to regulate our feelings around those emotions. And that is such an invaluable mental skill. It helps us perform better. It helps us be more even keel throughout our lives. So we're not quite so up and down with our emotions. Um, and it helps us move through difficult times. And then uh, positive emotions, on the other hand, are something that can really fuel our motivation, can really fuel our sense of clarity, um, our sense of being present in the moment. And so there's interesting different ways to cultivate positive emotions. Um, gratitude is one of them and gratitude's talked about a lot, but part of the reason gratitude is talked about so much is that it's actually been shown in research that if you can really think about something that you are actually profoundly grateful for and really kind of um, connect with that thing, it actually changes the neurochemistry in your brain very, very quickly. And a whole different rush of chemicals come in, which put us in a very different frame of mind. So it's actually, it's a really useful tool if we can engage with it really authentically. Um, another thing that you can do is, is help someone else. Altruism, interestingly enough, you know, is one of the quickest and best ways to get yourself in a really good mood, interestingly. <laughs> um, you know, so gratitude, helping someone else, doing something that you love to do, you know, like go out and get the cup of coffee from your favorite store, your favorite coffee place, you know, call your friend, like, um, you know, uh, go, go see your friend's dog, like go to the beach, like consciously engaging in things that you know you love and fill you up will also help to cultivate those positive emotions. I, I, I really like that as well. And like the, the positive side of things, I, I, I really resonate with because uh, I, I, I love my job. And I think that's one of the big reasons that I do love my job is it does give me that moment where I can see what somebody's struggling with and it's about helping them get that. And you'll get, obviously get the same kick and it's the, the coaching, mm -hmm. I guess it's a, the coaching kick where you're helping somebody is just about understanding and enabling them. You can't do it for them, but you can mm -hmm. facilitate them to let them to connect the dots in that moment and that spark when they get it. Mm -hmm. And um, when it comes to negative emotions, one of the big things that I see on a, on a coaching perspective is that when somebody struggles, they automatic, automatically associate the from where they are is not where they want to be. So they jump to the extreme opposite end of the spectrum to create the perfect solution because I need to be all in. And if I do everything, then this must be perfect. And it creates that false security because we can't attain that because like one of the big things I love about fitness is it doesn't lie it's like if you want to do 100 kilos you've got to be able to do 99 you've got to be able to do mm -hmm. 98 97 and it's the exact same when it comes to change and frustratingly like when it comes to negative emotions one of the things that I found to help myself is that I break it to the most simplest form that has enabled me to step forward so that what is the one simple activity that would help me would you say that's maybe a good practice? Would you say that's like something you'd maybe refine? What would you do to help somebody step forward? Yeah, so I think what you're tapping into there is um, creating an opportunity for you to recognize your own achievement. 
even in a very small way. So achievement is something that fuels our, our sense of our positive emotions. So we like to achieve, like human beings like to achieve things. And that is, you know, clearly laid out in the history of humanity, right? You know, we, we are driven to achieve. And interestingly, we like to achieve things together as a group, right, as a community. Um, so we get a little uh, dopamine hit from achievement, right? And so dopamine is one of those happy, happy feel-good chemicals that, that, that basically create positive emotions in our brain. And so anytime we go, oh, I did that, I accomplished that, boom, we get this little hit of dopamine. Um, and so what you've done there, Kami, is by breaking things down into the smaller pieces, instead of looking at the goal as one big goal that you only get to achieve once when you get to the end of it, where you'd only get one hit of dopamine when you get, you know, whatever it is, let's say six months from now when you've lost the three stone or you've, you know, learned to bench hundred pounds. Um, instead, now you're going, actually, I'm gonna notice my achievement at a bunch of points along the way. Um, I'm gonna notice when I've lost my first two pounds, my, my first 10 pounds, my first kilo. Um, I'm gonna notice when I can do, you know, five more press-ups, 10 more press-ups um, than I could do before. And so you're basically just setting, it's, just, it's interesting because it's the exact same process that we go through. But the first way we move through it sort of on autopilot, just sort of focusing on the end and not being present where we are in the journey. The second way we, we pay attention to where we are. We track our progress. We see how we're improving day to day. And as a result, we get this, this little continuous influx of positivity and motivation and achievement. So yeah, it's, it's a great strategy and I, I wouldn't refine it at all. That's exactly what I would recommend to clients. And like one of the, like on, on the road, like a lot of the time people say like thing, for example, they come, they, they join our team for body confidence. And um, a lot of the, time, the things that frustrate me is people say fat loss and body confidence in the same sentence. Mm -hmm. The thing is confidence itself uh, is the actions in which we do. It's like how, what we do with our body. Fat loss is a journey that you go through. Mm -hmm. And like at the at the end, we often feel more confident, but it's the things you've managed to accomplish, which is why mm -hmm. it's really important that we acknowledge these accomplishments. And it's uh, like you've been able to do a press up, you've been able to achieve more, you've been able to like, get fitter and get stronger. And I guess that's where like tapping into like I love fun. I literally fun is just like insane. I, I spent about three hours playing uh, football with my nephew last mm -hmm. year, last week. I was I was praying for the moment for him to say can we go inside but that wasn't happening we were out <laughs> we were out but when it comes to it's like these moments where you just like embracing because that that there like me being present and playing football with my nephew I hit 20,000 steps just by playing football in mm. that space it would take try out to do that I would actually be spending like a day to actually go out walking there'll be like recreating lord of the rings as a climb the mountains <laughs> and whatnot but just playing with my nephew it enabled me to be present and actually have that more fun and mm -hmm. what impact does like having fun have on mindset on your body and your emotions what impact does that have it's a very useful um i was gonna call it a technique because it almost makes it sound like too clinical because like fun is such an it's really just like such a natural expression of, of mm -hmm. who we are as, as humans and uh, we all love having fun. <laughs> um, but having said that, we can be more intentional about sort of like cultivating fun for ourselves. And particularly what's useful is when we have something we need to do um, that we aren't, maybe something we wouldn't naturally choose to do, right? Or it's something new that we're taking on. And, and so as a result, it feels like a bit of a chore. It feels like something we need to do. It feels mm -hmm. like something maybe even we have to do, right? Um, those are the things where we want to think about using fun as a tool, because when we're in the mindset of having to do something or needing to do something, um, that usually puts us in sort of a, a bit of a perfectionistic mindset and in a, in a mindset where we feel like we're doing something out of pressure. So often when we talk about motivation, there's a funny way of putting it, right? It's like, are you being motivated by the stick or the carrot? <laughs> so the stick is chasing you and you're running away from the stick so it doesn't hit you. The carrot is ahead of you and you really want the carrot so you're chasing after the carrot, right? 
Um, and so when we're when we're moving forward, because motivation is all about getting us to move forward, you know, we're we're always kind of working from one or the other. We're either running away from the stick or we're chasing the carrot. And so using fun is part of how we can switch ourselves into the perspective of chasing the carrot and away from running away from the stick. Um, and so it's all about thinking, how can I make this more interesting? How can I bring an element of curiosity, of playfulness, of, of uh, maybe bringing in more of a sense of social connection into it, right? That can make things fun. Um, I remember, oh, I'm not gonna remember the, the correct reference now, but in an audiobook I read uh, not too long ago, there was the story of a guy who um, he had, he hated cutting his lawn and he felt it was this huge chore in his life and he would get down about it every time. And then he learned about this idea of bringing fun into the table to feel motivation. And he decided to, <laughs> to basically make cutting the lawn like this huge game. And so he like researched all the like most efficient ways he could cut the lawn. He got really into it. He started like tracking the weather and the this he found like the optimal lawn cutting time. He like optimized the machine he was using to do it. He started challenging himself to do it under like a certain amount of time. He tried different routes, he tried different things. And he like made it into this whole fun game for himself. And he was saying on the audiobook that it just like completely changed his experience of cutting the lawn. And I always remember that because like what a cool thing to do. Um, and there's so many ways that we can do that with the things that are seemingly mundane and chore-like in our life. They don't have to be, right? Like we can, we can make pretty much anything fun by getting curious and invested in it and, you know, thinking, right, like how can I work with this? I, I really, because actually that's the exact way you work out is like, right, mm. what is the most optimum time that I work out? When am I rubbish at working out? Right. If yeah, I'm rubbish yeah. at working out, I'm not going to work at that time. Right. Yeah. When, how many press-ups can I do? Right. I want to be able to do this. I can't yeah. wait to do this. And it's like, it creates that. And like a lot, like if we see, uh, I, I kind of refer to it as exercise and training, training's that almost that gamified way of going, right. How can I, how can I get to there? Whereas mm -hmm. exercise is, I've got this to do today, I've got this to do today, I've got this to do today. And it, it can't, it, it's mundane, it is boring. And like, there's no emotion behind it. So instead of like exercising, like shifting to that training perspective of, right, what am I getting better at? What can I do to set forward? And it really, like, I really like that. I usually turn most things into a game um, mm -hmm. in, in our household, even things like cooking. We uh, we had a, a come down with me in the house, so like versus Elizabeth and I, because I didn't want to cook every night. So I was like, Elizabeth, yeah. let's do a come down with me. Uh, I like to think I won, but like, I say that <laughs> on most things. Uh, but when it comes to, to fun, a lot of people seem to like get put off by the concept of fun because we're older. We're meant to, we're, we're not meant to have fun. We're meant to be boring. Mm -hmm. We're meant to like do sophisticated things and whatnot. And a lot of the time it puts fear into this, the thought process of actually going to do things like, for example, I like going to do go ape and whatnot because, oh, I can't do that. Uh, and we, we put ourselves out of those moments and mm -hmm. this actually drives a lot of people away from doing things like a lot of people don't go to the gym because they're afraid of what people might think what people are looking at and nobody's actually looking and if anything actually if people were to see what I, my playlist is with Taylor Swift and Whitney Houston when I'm in the gym like not many people would go to the gym but like fear itself I, I know that you find that it's you say it's a big topic but like what is fear in your in your perspective so fear is um, it's something obviously that, as you said, often holds us back from taking action. And I think that's one of the more interesting ways to look at fear um, because uh, yes, I mean, we all experience fear in a lot of different ways, but when we're kind of grounding the conversation around performance and growth and, and you know, moving forward, it's often fear that sort of halts us in our tracks or holds us back, prevents us from taking action and then therefore can hold us back from growing. So fear is um, something that we usually need to dig a little deeper into to understand. So what we're first aware of is usually the, the, the feeling in our body. And um, it'd be useful for everybody listening right now to just think quickly, like, where do I feel fear in my body? So I fear it, I feel it in my stomach, I get really nauseated. Um, and when I'm really nervous, I, I get like weird shooting pains through my hands, <laughs> the weirdest thing. Um, 
so for me, like that's a real physical symptom. Like if that's happening, I know I'm a bit scared or maybe a lot scared, right? So have a think where fear, for you, Cammy. where would you say fear lives in your body? My head. Your like head. literally it's, it, it's right in between my temples. Uh-huh. Like it, it's not my ears. It's right. Uh-huh. I get that and I freeze and then it just suddenly drops and I'm literally heart palpitations. It always starts in my head always starts right right there like i i can't see whenever i snakes spiders heights yeah. ah! <laughs> like the, the works I, I know i look like a gangster but i promise you like i'm like a box of kittens like so cool yeah so it's it's so interesting to think about that like where is it in my body and to start to become aware of that the other thing we want to consider is what are the thoughts that tend to start running through my head in response to fear so for a lot of us, there's a there's a, an immediate um, narrative in our mind that seems to come out of nowhere of I can't I can't do this right um, and that pops into my head all the time um, in response to to scary situations and there may be an overwhelming urge to get the hell out of there <laughs> to say no you know to back away um, so so have a think about you know like what are the thoughts that that pop into your head and how does that feel in your body. Um, and that just helps us start to recognize more and notice um, when we are scared and when that fear response is kicking in. So from there, it's useful to know that our fear response is something that our brain developed through evolution um, a long, long, long time ago to, to keep us safe. And so the, the early humans who were able to um, to I suppose be to be more sensitive to potential danger, and then also to react in certain ways in response to danger, we're more likely to survive. And so they call it the the freeze, uh, flight, fight, or the fight, freeze, and flee, whatever it is, uh, response, um, because it tends to elicit you know one of those three or four reactions. We um, we freeze, uh, which is that sense of like not being able to do anything, not knowing what to do. We, or we the flight we have this overwhelming urge to get the heck out of there or say no or not engage with the you know whatever it is getting up on stage or, or whatever um or we fight and we get this this sort of incredible rush of maybe like anger or frustration or this sense of needing to defend ourselves and stand up for ourselves and um it's just you know it's just a natural response <laughs> it's just part of the way that our brain works so like everything the more aware we can be and start to the more we can start to notice when we're falling into into that fear response the more options we have Mm -hmm. um to to move through it and not just sort of react and follow the chain of of those of those neurochemicals that are now pumping through our brain which are trying to get us to to fight freeze or flee and the thing is that even though in those moments sometimes it feels like that's all we can do we have so many more options than that and the key to unlocking those other options is to, again, sort of down-regulate and try to get your brain back in touch with the part of your brain that thinks calmly and reasonably and logically about things, because it's that part of our brain that we need <laughs> um, to help us get through those moments. And unfortunately, that fear response often disconnects us from that part of our brain. So um, I suppose to, to come back around more clearly to your question, the thing is that um, fear is always going to affect us, um, but it's something that we can learn to get better at managing. And that again is another mental skill that that comes in really, really handy in a lot of different situations. One of the most common areas, like common situations, I get fear. Mm It's when I've got like a heavier weight or I'm doing something that's maybe a slightly slightly more challenging and it's that Mm -hmm. that one step into the unknown and uh, I've kind of uh, this is just my own personal way that I give myself like a couple of minutes I've got a song in my head uh, well not a song in my head I've got headphones in um, Mm -hmm. but I listen to a song and I'll give me just a wee bit of visualization seeing myself do the skill but I don't give myself time to think I'm just going to go like as soon as I'm ready I just go Mm -hmm. and do perform and I kind of feel that in my perspective, when it comes to fear, that the more time I give it, the bigger it gets. Mm-hmm. Whereas the less time I get it, I give it, the smaller it is. And I feel like I can mm-hmm. crush it by acting fast. 
when it comes to like a lot of situations, would you say that if we sit in in, in fear, would you tend to tend to? I don't want to put words into your mouth, but do you? What would you say happens to somebody's maybe impulses towards fear when they sit with it and don't take action? Yeah, yeah. I think what you said there is pretty bang on in that. Um, the longer we sit in the fear and sort of give the fear airtime in our brain, um, the stronger it can get. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that we're still not capable of moving through it, but absolutely the, the sense of it, of it getting bigger and maybe harder to move through and getting kind of larger than life um, will probably increase the longer we sit with it. So interestingly, confidence is really the ability to act in the face of fear. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes we have this misconception that, uh, that when you're confident, it's that you don't feel the fear the same way um, or that the better you get, the more confident you get, the less you'll experience fear. Um, but that's, I don't think that's really true. I think, um, and someone that I spoke to in a workshop recently said this really well, that uh, confidence never comes first. Doesn't matter how confident you become, the fear is always still gonna be there. The fear is always gonna be there first, but the more confident we become, the better we get at acting quickly in the face of that fear. And I actually just read an amazing book by um, Dr. Kelly McGonigal, which is called The Joy of Movement. Um, and I'd really recommend it to yourself and to everybody listening. It's a fantastic read. And she talks about how our brain we, our brain learns our own strength and our own resilience and our own capacity by moving through fear, by moving through difficult situations. So her theory is that the reason people engage with, you know, frankly, crazy stuff like ultra marathon running and, um, you know, tough mutter competitions where you are literally like opting into being like electrocuted, <laughs> like, uh, you know, jumping off, you know, huge cliffs and, and, um, you know, grabbing onto scorpions and <laughs> really crazy stuff like that is because by moving through those scary experiences or those really difficult experiences, they prove to themselves their own strength. Um, so it's not that uh, they didn't have that strength before, but, but it proves it to them when they move through that. So every time you stare down that big weight and you take action and you lift it, you pr every time you do that and you do that movement, you prove to yourself, I can. Even though I was scared, I can. Um, and it allows you to feel powerful and strong in that moment. And then your brain goes, oh, I'm powerful. I am strong. So your muscles communicate with your brain. Your muscles release certain hormones and chemicals in response to different types of activity that send certain messages to your brain. And so when we do movement that makes us feel powerful, we feel that in our body, but we also feel it in our mind. And we get, we have the, the sensation and the thought of I am powerful, I am strong. And so every time we face down that fear, even in just small areas and we move through it to the other side, where that's actively building confidence because you're proving to yourself that you can. And then that um, ripples out into all sorts of other areas of your life because then as you start to face other challenges you have this memory in your body and your brain that tells you no you can you can get through this because i i've done it before i've done it in that other context um so yeah so it's just amazing to think about everything that's going on there and i think the knowledge of that is really invaluable because it allows us to maybe see the long-term benefit of that short-term discomfort hundred uh, percent. And like the, the, the perspective, see there, like the, the, you were saying, the, the joy of movement. Sorry, who was the author again? Sorry. Sorry, Kelly McGonigal. Kelly McGonigal. Think Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> like she's brilliant. She also has, she's, she's an absolutely prol prolific writer. She has an amazing um, TED talk on stress and, um, and yeah, uh, this is a recent book. And it's a fantastic read. I absolutely gobbled it up, so I can't recommend it enough. I've, I've, seen, I've seen our TED talk. I know, I know mm -hmm. the one you're on. Um, but I actually really like that because this perspective, if you actually, if somebody who's just starting like, mm -hmm. and they've never done anything before and the person who's doing an ultra marathon, the perspective, yes, the person may be doing an ultra marathon. And at that moment in time, you may not be doing a, a, an ultra marathon, but the fear is the same of, 
getting started is the thing is the hardest part of what to mm -hmm. expect and as soon as you actually get over that actually you we're talking about gratitude and we say in the team that results are all based in gratitude and determination because it's those metrics that always push but actually it's that it's more simple than that of what did you do you've done it right what did you do and remember that and mm -hmm. what is next in your list and it's as soon as you kind of start thinking like on that it really like that confidence is just you overcoming fear by fear instead of looking at fear of what like if i was put in a room with snakes spiders heights uh heavy weight and uh Elizabeth saying no to never getting a dog, and then I would be overwhelmed. <laughs> but taking on each fear at a time, then ultimately, like I, I, I can do that. But I've just got to make sure that I'm doing the appropriate practices like, at a time. And I really, I no, I really, really like that. And like I've, I've really enjoyed today, Annika. I think it's been really interesting just talking in, like all different shapes and how it kind of all comes together, just going in a big loop. And like if you were to maybe give somebody who's like a little bit of advice with regards to even like maybe like they're starting or they're about to go on like the next level of their training protocol or they're maybe going to do something that's going to be incredibly out there or they're maybe unsure of what they are capable of, what mm -hmm. advice would you maybe give them? <sighs> Look for ways to prove to yourself that you can. And so, you know, draw together, drawing together on some of the themes yeah, that have come up in our conversation, um, find ways to prove to yourself, even in small ways, that you are capable of improvement. Because when we can believe that, that we're fundamentally capable of getting a little bit better, you know, every time we go out and, and do something, then it becomes easier to believe that that big goal you've set for yourself is ultimately within your capabilities, within your grasp. Um, so you may, yeah, you may look at that next level, or you may, maybe, as you said, Kenny, you're just starting out and you've never really done any serious exercise before. And so the thought of even, you know, running a 5k just seems a bit mental. Um, so instead of looking at that big goal and saying, well, I'm right now, I'm not the person who can run a 5k and I don't know if I'm ever going to be the person who runs a 5k and, and I don't know that that's, you know, ever something I'm going to be able to do if we can shift around and say, well, actually, let's just see if I can be the person who can run 1K, right? And let's do that first. And actually, if you can go from being the person who doesn't run at all to being the person who can run a, a 1K, then that is proof that you can then become the person who runs 2K and then the person who runs 3K all the way up to five. And before you know, it, you'll be running 10K <laughs> and, and beyond, right? Because it's all about just proving to yourself that you can improve. And then my, one thing I'd really just say is that try to look for ways to enjoy the process of that improvement, because that's sort of what life is. I think we're always just going through this, this process of improving at whatever it is that we're doing. And if we get a little too goal orientated, um, we forget to enjoy ourselves along the way. And I think that that is a shame. 100%. And you know, it's funny you say that because we have uh, Kirsty, who's in our team, and she joined and she was so goal orientated on fat loss at the start, mm -hmm. that she forgot to enjoy getting fit. She forgot mm -hmm. to enjoy food choices. And then she started, she hit a, a wall and we said, no, no, Kirsty, how are we going to lose this pound? What about starting running? And we just started off, it was like 15 minutes of any pace and now she's about to go and run a half marathon and that was like literally just bit by bit and she absolutely loved it and she just really enjoyed and yeah, yeah so I, like, I really 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 like that and Annika I cannot thank you enough I've really enjoyed the, uh, uh, this today and I've really enjoyed hearing uh, your thought processes and how it all links together and how we can bring it towards mindset and the psychology towards how we can improve just day by day on a, a regular basis and I can't thank you enough and I look forward to uh, chatting to you in in the in the future and uh yeah i hope uh, i hope you uh, ireland is uh coming out of a, a nice easy lockdown and not faced with too many fears snakes spiders and and whatnot um happy but, to report yeah. that there are no snakes at all in ireland so that is not a fear that i have to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to contend with. Do, do you know I, do you know I, I was i was so happy saying there's a local fair and i was so happy saying oh uh, uh, elizabeth's big brother's got seven snakes and i was like oh they're oh. the only they're the only seven snakes that i know about in scotland and then <laughs> uh and then literally the person who had a stall, an exotic stall, and they said, actually, that's not true. There's adders in the, in the hills up there. And I was like, what? Here. And then literally that day, I drove back to the house and I picked up Elizabeth and there was a dog just like walking around in the street. 
And then I was just like, Elizabeth, there's a there's a there's a dog. I, she, like it's it's wandering. And then it literally looked abandoned. And then uh, I said to Elizabeth, look, just pick it up. And what we'll do is we'll post it on Facebook. There's a dog missing. Pick this dog up. And oh, it was stinking. And it was it was horrible. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I love dogs. And I, I was like, I, I want to say one more. I was like, we've got a dog, Elizabeth. We've stolen it. But no. <laughs> <laughs> but turns out this, uh, this dog, it was uh, it was on its way out. And uh, mm-hmm. we, we didn't know this. And I put it on Facebook and the person contacted me and uh, persons, I, I met the person so I could give them their dog back. And he was telling me, oh, it's getting, the dog's getting put down on Tuesday. And I was like, oh, no, that's sad. And he goes, oh, sorry, right, don't worry. We've got hundreds of pets. And I was like, oh, what kind of pets do you have? And he goes, well, I own an alligator and an exotic snake farm. And I was like, <laughs> literally, I, I was so worried. I was like, I'm so, glad, I'm so glad. I didn't tell him where I live just in case he launched a snake over my fence or something. I was like, I was petrified. I didn't sleep that night. I was like, ah. But there are all sorts of people in the world, aren't there? An exotic snake farm. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, it's been my pleasure, Cammy. Thank you so much for having me. I always love our chats and um, I love the passion and excitement you bring to everything that you do with your clients. So it's, it's a great pleasure to be part of it all. Well, Annika, have an absolute epic one. Thank you so much.